Hello, my name is Dr Sarah Campbell and I teach Northern Ireland History in the School of History and Archives in University College Dublin. Today I'm going to talk about the myths surrounding the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland and why its legacy remains contested. Millions of words have been written on the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland, from instant journalistic accounts to analyses by political scientists and sociologists and more recently by historians who are now challenging the dominant narratives of the movement such as Simon Prince, who maintains that while Northern Ireland was different, it was not exceptional. Thirty years of virtual war, while the rest of the continent experienced a period of an easy peace, has encouraged some people to forget that Northern Ireland has always been part of Europe. According to Prince, Northern Ireland should be compared to France and West Germany, and not to apartheid-era South Africa and the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Brian Hanley and Scott Miller have also recently stated that the official IRA was key to the founding of the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association. Although there were various bodies, the Campaign for Social Justice, the Wolf Tone Society, various ad hoc housing committees and individuals, the fact is that the commander of the IRA in Belfast, Billy Macmillan, was on the executive of NICRA and the official IRA was present right throughout its existence. Republicans were on the NICRA executive and Republicans were important, particularly at a local level and across a lot of rural Ulster. In the 1980s, the official history of the movement would have stressed that the movement had sought to unite Protestants and Catholics. But if you look at what Republicans said at the time, Miller and Hanley suggest, they saw it as a way of ending partition to demoralise, split and divide unionism. These points begin the revisionism and the deconstruction of the civil rights movement in the North. The stories told about the civil rights era have repeated the same claims so many times that the legend becomes fact. It is important, now 40 years later, and with the opening of the archives, that historians debunk these myths. The civil rights movement celebrated its 40th anniversary in 2008. The atmosphere of reconciliation and improved cross-community relations pertaining in Northern Ireland currently means that what was an important event for both communities can be looked at objectively, or so the organisers of the commemoration hoped. The Commemoration Committee for the 40th anniversary hoped to commemorate the shared or contested history of civil rights on a cross-community basis in order to preserve the historical record as best we can and to generate a balanced and inclusive reflection upon that year, 1968. The committee rightly stated that a series of events took place which changed the face of Northern Ireland irrevocably. Yet the history of the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland is somewhat overshadowed by what happened in its aftermath, and its legacy is rarely examined. With that in mind, I will examine the legacy of the movement and explain why it is contested, particularly in national circles in Northern Ireland. In 2008, as sections of the two communities in the North began to commemorate the events of 1968, what was most notable was the letter section in the Irish News, the nationalist community community's only national daily newspaper. There, a contest was played out among elements of the Catholic population for the ownership of the civil rights movement. Republicans claimed ownership for the idea, arguing that the Republican clubs and the Republican movement played a seminal role in setting up NICRA. The SDLP sought recognition that it was a, the party of civil rights and indeed much of the commemorative activity that year was organised by elements within or connected to the SDLP. Both claimed that their participation in the Good Friday Agreement negotiations of 1998 was the culmination of their efforts for civil rights. 
What was significant about the civil rights movement in 1968 was the fact that it appeared to be a moment of unity among all shades of nationalist opinion in the North. Negro was an important step in the evolution of, of the nationalist struggle of Northern Ireland because it managed to unite Republicans, nationalists and other anti-unionists into one group with one goal. Of course, each of the groups also pursued their own agenda, apart from the civil rights movement, and sometimes even within it. While the leadership from NICRA did offer some general direction, many people participated in the civil rights movement without belonging to any specific association. NICRA was an important but loose alliance. How then did it come to be a divisive element 40 years later? I believe this division was already happening even as the events themselves were taking place. The first schism occurred in June 1968 with the Caledon squatting. From late 1967, the Goodfellow and Gildenew families were squatting at number 11 Kinnard Park in Caledon, County Tyrone, after their applications for a house in the area were rejected. Although the Goodfellow family were still not allocated a house by the Dungannon Rural District Council by the following May, the Unionist Council allocated the house to 19-year-old unmarried Emily Beattie. The issue was debated among concerned residents and by the local Republican club at Brantry and on the 18th of June it was decided that the local Republican, Joe Campbell, Mrs Goodfellow's brother, Patsy Gildernew, and Nationalist MP, Austin Curry, would squat in the House as a protest and to highlight the injustice to the North and to the rest of the world. Fierce clashes between bailiffs, police, the squatting Goodfellow family and the relations ensued in the five-hour Battle of Caledon. The three were consequently evicted and arrested, but they succeeded in bringing housing discrimination to the fore of British and Northern Irish politics. Yet Caledon was, and still is, a highly contentious issue among the three squatters. While Patsy Gildenew and Joe Campbell claim that the squatting was the idea of the local Republican club, Austin Curry maintains that it was the brainchild of the new thinking within the Nationalist Party. It is here that the struggle began for the ownership of civil rights by both ideologies, and it is this struggle that helps to bring down NICRA in early 1970. O'Neill's broadcast in December 1968, in which he made an, op an appeal for calm while the Stormont government implemented the reform programme which London insisted upon, caused the first major split in the civil rights movement. While it persuaded most elements of the civil rights movement that O'Neill was genuine in his attempts to initiate reform and that he needed time to do so. Others, specifically the student-led People's Democracy, felt that O'Neill had been given enough time and that only street politics could command changes. People's Democracy was worried that the, the momentum that had already been built up on the streets would be lost and a deal would be cobbled up between Terence O'Neill and the Unionist leadership on the one hand and the traditional nationalist leadership on the other. Rejecting this, around 40 students left Belfast on a demonstration march to Derry on the 1st of January 1969. The march was initially opposed by many of the key civil rights figures as being dangerously provocative, but when the marches were attacked by followers of Ian Paisley or Burnt Tullet and suffered three days of repeated attacks, it provoked a strong, sympathetic response from the minority. By the time the marches reached Derry, a large crowd of supporters gathered and they were afforded a hero's welcome. The riots that followed in Derry afterwards and O'Neill's comment on the march, in which he condemned the marchers as opposed to the attackers, changed the conditions and the limitations of the civil rights movement. 
its non-violent stance as an absolute principle, no longer held as much as Morton's. These new political realities of Northern Ireland would force the non-political movement into political action, either willingly or unwillingly. The 1969 general election was a crucial moment in the disintegration of apparent anti-unionist unity. John Hume, Ivan Cooper and Paddy O'Hanlon decided to contest the election on a civil rights ticket. This decision meant that they came under attack from the civil rights supporters, who argued that theirs was a non-political association and this was their strength. Until this point, the civil rights movement had steered clear of party politicians, with the notable exceptions of Jerry Fitt and Austin Curry, in order to broaden its appeal. But the election faced its leaders with a difficult choice. Should they cash in on their popularity or maintain their purity as external guardians of citizens' rights? The movement claimed that people like Hume were jumping on the civil rights bandwagon and feared that this could damage the whole movement. But while Nickery exhibited the image of a united, cohesive body, in practice its leadership was fragmented and its organisation merely a loose connection of local ad hoc committees. One of the main concerns of the nationalist community during this period was creating a unified anti-unionist voice for Stormont. Newspaper reports frequently referred to splits and schisms in the civil rights movement and the urgent need for unity among the nationalist community if they were to succeed in creating an effective anti-unionist voice in Parliament. Yet, in the aftermath of the 1969 election, there was a clear division between those who wanted to carry on the success of the movement within the storming chambers and those who wanted to remain on the streets. The debate surrounding these important issues was kept to a minimum and began to narrow significantly in order to preserve the all-important anti-unionist unity. The formation of the Social Democratic and Labour Party, or the SDLP, highlighted this split more publicly. While some argue that the SDLP arrived too late to be able to halt this drift towards extremism and violence and thus take reforming Catholic interests to Stormont, it is perhaps now time to question whether the SDLP formed too quickly. That in taking politics off the streets in 1969, those who made up the party left a vacuum on the streets. It is difficult to try and predict what might have happened, as there are no success stories to which we can make comparisons. But perhaps comparisons to the situation in America are useful in this circumstance. The civil rights movement in America did not become a political movement. And while that did not stop the violence in the end, it did leave a body of people who were not identified with a political party and whose real interest was civil rights and the transformation of that society. By forming the SDLP, the six founders may well have split a community who had an emotional engagement with each other even if they did not share the same political agendas. The significant difference between the situation in Northern Ireland and that of the United States was that the Constitution in the US was settled. There was never any threat there of changing the constitutional status. That was not the case in Northern Ireland. While Nicker did not originally take a position on the constitutional question, and in fact maintained that it was about discrimination and socio-economic problems, not the constitutional question. It merely acted as a scab. The underlying problem still remained. It was less than 10 years since the IRA had called off their latest military operation to overturn the border, and yet that seems to have been forgotten about to a large extent. There was a naive hope that once reforms were achieved and the minority in the North saw the advantages of having a proper electoral voice in government, then the IRA would just go die away. 
There was a lack of debate and questioning of what the consequences were of having once called people onto the streets, of calling them off again. In that situation, a vacuum was left behind on the streets and that vacuum was left open for the IRA to fill. The danger of moving from a mass movement to a political party has major consequences in any country, but it has even more extraordinary consequences in a country that has not resolved itself in the constitutional name, with a history of militant republicanism that was prepared to use violence against the state, and a state that was quite happy to do a fair amount of repression, like internment, like shootings, and whose law enforcers, the British Army and the RUC, were not accepted by a sizeable minority. While the SDLP may have been formed by people who were associated with the civil rights movement, this does not mean that it was a party of civil rights, because the civil rights movement was not supposed to be political. What is evident, however, is that the history of the movement, free from myths and free from contestations, still remains largely to be written.